Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast with your host, Dr. Diamond Jones, physical therapist and fitness coach. And today we have another physical therapist here with me, but not your average PT. He's actually more than a PT, right? He's an adjunct professor. He's a clinical BFR instructor. And don't worry, we'll get into that. And he obviously um, hosts or basically was on another podcast called Joy of Pain Free. It is Nicholas Roll neck. Hopefully, I said that right and not actually before we hopped on. Huh. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, what's up? What's up, man? Please tell me I pronounced that right. Uh, no, no, I, <laughs> I, I should have asked you that before we before we hopped on. How do you say it? Is uh, roll neck. Roll neck. Okay, yeah, I totally, totally, I totally should ask you that. Oh, well, we're not editing this part out, so it, it is what it is. So, man, <laughs> thank you for coming on to the show. Obviously, um, you know what made me bring you on. I, it's almost like I troll Facebook or troll Instagram to kind of see when people have these controversies or see whenever they have something that kind of just pop up. And I'm like, yep, now it's time to come on a podcast. I've been peeping you, but now it's time to come on to talk about it a little bit. Um, I'm thinking about hosting like a PT or like healthcare. Um, you remember that MTV show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all the celebrities used to fight in the ring. Oh, man. Back <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, yeah. Oh, celebrity death match. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my they God. had the, uh, the that was the clay. They were they're all made out of clay. And, yep. uh, yeah, that's crazy. That was a long time ago. Yo, oh my gosh, yeah, man. You talk about episodes back into the nineties, and I remember watching it as a kid, and probably most of them was reruns. But they would literally they would match up the perfect celebrities. Like you knew why they 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 <laughs> looked alike or. People, you know what I mean, rather they had like a public or private beef. I don't know how MTV used to find this out, but it was like the perfect, um, it was like always the perfect matchups. Even 20 years later, you can see why, oh uh, yeah, I know why they matched up Prince and Michael. That's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> but anyways, man, so yeah, I mean, obviously we, we don't um, have, to, have to jump into that right away. Uh, please tell the audience a little bit more about you. I know that you've been on previous podcasts, so no, so no need to, to go into all the detail, but, you know, obviously tell us your backstory and then tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. It's always, it's always nice to be able to get in front of a new audience, talk about uh, my passions and kind of dispel some myths, but also uh, really continue to push forward rehab and performance. And so... For me, uh, I, I consider myself more than just a PT. Um, I am one of the leading experts in blood flow restriction therapy, and it it's fortunate because my philosophy is, and, and the tr- way that I approach it, you mentioned it earlier, it's actually not a podcast, it's my treatment philosophy. It's okay. being able to have everybody experience the joy of pain-free movement. And so blood flow restriction therapy is one way in which I can help individuals experience the joy of pain-free movement. So blood flow restriction, for those who haven't uh, really uh, been accustomed to what this is, it's pretty much what you're doing is you're squeezing the vein with a cuff, which then tricks the brain into building more muscle mass. And you can do that with lighter loads because you're restricting the amount of oxygen that the muscles can use. And when the muscles have a a restriction in oxygen, that accelerates the uh, demands of the muscle. Something like when you're working out and 
you're at the end of your set and you're feeling that lactic acid or what we call what we what we colloquially call a lactic acid burn you're feeling that and that's kind of when we know how adaptation is adaptation is happening and positive adaptation is happening so bfr accelerates that process and in doing so can really accelerate performance and performance can be you know, anybody anywhere from a 75-year-old grandmother wanting to pick up her kids without knee pain or, you know, a high-level CrossFit athlete looking to improve performance on uh, a marathon row, for example. And so blood flow restriction takes to, can fit into all of these different paradigms from the rehab to performance. And that's why I am more than just a PT. People go to PT for, for quote-unquote rehab. But in reality, you know, my model, uh, my model is, is I can take them from rehab to performance and being able to offer them the services that they need to be able to live a pain-free existence. So blood flow restriction is just the, one of the vehicles that I use for that. So I'm very fortunate to be able to uh, get to talk and fly around the country and soon the world. I'm going to Paris next month to speak at a conference. So it's all, it's all really great. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. First off, beautiful um, you know, intro. <laughs> Numer uno. And then secondly, too, how long have you been doing um, the blood flow restriction? How long have, uh, have uh, you been practicing that way? So I've, I've, it's probably been around two years now, um, really about almost 18 to 20 months of really being serious about it. Um, you know, I saw in the earlier phases of when I was using it that I was getting some, some good results personally and then as a student when i was uh when i was you know rehabbing clients and then it's kind of taken on a more uh, serious role and a life of its own because now that it's permeating through uh through the professional ranks and now rehab it's it's quickly becoming mainstream so it's uh it's something now that i live and breathe uh it's 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 crazy that it's only it's quote unquote only been two years but it's been a very heavy, uh, intensive two years. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand. So let's take a step back real quick um, uh, and, and talk about some of the mechanisms of, uh, of BFR and uh, exactly how, you know, like let's extrapolate, kind of break it down for those out there that may not be clinicians like us that aren't high-level athletes, um, like some of the ones that like we deal with all the time. But basically just listen to this podcast and like, I just want to know more about this. Do I need to find a BFR expert? Do I need to, uh, you know, buy the machine myself? Kind of some mechanisms and, and how that works. So let's talk about load, which is what, you know, you know, people like you, I, uh, CJ, um, and a bunch of other therapists that me, like, like me and you kind of just hang around, talk about like load management and how important that is to not only tissue healing, but getting back to sports and, and all that fun stuff. So, BFR to me, whenever I think of it, it, it allows us to basically increase our overall, I don't know, capacity without um, capacity to do exercise, more or less, um, create the hypertrophy, create the bigger muscles, more or less, bigger muscle cells without having that, that, that much external load to us, like a barbell, a kettlebell, whatever, uh, but still get the same results. So whereas 100 pounds, you know, now all of a sudden, in order, in order to elicit that hypertrophy in our particular body, now all of a sudden we can go down to 50 pounds, decreasing the load, but still getting that same training effect. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm right, and then you mind just jumping into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So 
in the at the end of the day, in order to create positive adaptations in your muscles, and that meaning hypertrophy, strength, endurance, etc. What we need to do is we need to be able to create uh, we need to be able to create fatigue, uh, and fatigue is so important because what fatigue does is it allows us to actually uh, get and tap into those higher order, higher threshold motor units. And motor units are, you know, the motor nerve, but it's associated in muscle fibers that it innervates. And it's really important to understand the physiology in general behind fatigue. And if anybody's listening, the individual that I look up to and I'm currently getting mentorship from is Chris Beardsley. Uh, Chris Beardsley of Strength and Conditioning Research. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of work on demystifying strength training. There's a lot of stuff out there that tries to, I mean, that tries to make it so super complex. At the end of the day, you need to create, you need to generate fatigue in your muscles. And what that, and the muscle, it could be either fatigue in your muscles, AKA peripheral fatigue, or which is just, which is happens after you get to, um, when you have when when you happens at the muscle level or you can get central fatigue where your actual brain the way that your brain is trying to increase the signal to your muscles to get them to fire that becomes uh affected and what what that is why is that's important is because there's something called the force velocity relationship and the force velocity relationship means that the faster that we can generate a contraction the less force is going to be on an individual muscle fiber. And that's important because we need mechanical loading per muscle fiber to be able to create hypertrophy and strength. So when we're moving a, a lightweight, for example, very fast, we're actually not getting a lot of benefit from the hypertrophy perspective or really honestly any benefit at all. <laughs> where we get where we get the benefit is over a period of time now and we're talking about light load and i'm talking about light load because it's make it makes it easier to talk about what happens with blood flow restriction absolutely but when we're talking about light load we over time now and by time i mean a lot of time we're going to uh we're going to create some uh fatigue and these could be byproducts like metabolite byproducts that stimulate the uh the, the pretty much have synapses or, or connections to the brain that will uh tell the brain that there is an uh, there's a, a strenuous effort uh, a, a strenuous activity being done and that activity now in order to meet the force demands to continue to move that that weight from point a to point b our brain now has to increase muscle activation to be able to do that and so with light loads, that happens over a long, long period of time. And fatigue gradually, gradually uh, comes on, but over a very long time, meaning like maybe 100 reps, 200, 300 reps, if we're taking a, talking a very light load. So what blood flow restriction does is it accelerates that process to get fatigue. So now we have these, these muscle fibers that are getting higher levels of mechanical tension because the fatigue, what that does is it decreases the contraction velocity, how fast that we can actually contract our muscle fiber. And when it does that, we have increased overlap 
of the different proteins that make up the muscle fiber. And those are the ones that are important to stimulate when we're trying to increase our muscle mass and, and strength. So blood flow restriction accelerates that process, uh, accelerates that process in happening. So with a light load, for example, you would lift something like 300, 300 repetitions. Well, blood flow restriction, and there's research to show this, that it cuts down that volume by a third. So, or by two thirds, really. So you're only lifting a third of the, uh, that weight. So you can imagine from a, a rehab perspective that you're having somebody perform a bicep curl with two pounds and try to see how long it takes them to actually stop because they couldn't do that exercise anymore. You'd be there for 20, 30 minutes, <laughs> but with blood flow restriction, you're able to accelerate that process. And in doing so, you can accelerate your performance and your your size and strength goals so that's kind of the basics of it i don't want to go too too i mean i went a little bit in depth but at the end of the day all it is is creating a fatigue response you can do that with heavy loads because you're going to automatically recruit a lot of muscle fibers and you're not going to be able to move a heavy load very fast right and so you're going to get inherently when you're doing heavier loading you're like uh like, like you mentioned before 100 pounds like a bench press for example if that's really if that's really heavy for that individual well they're then they're going to get a lot of motor units so the muscle the nerve and their associated muscle fibers are going to have to fire immediately in order to meet that force demand and so that's going to also create effort and that's also going to create this fatigue that's then going to drive the adaptation I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, I think that you do, you, you kind of dove into it, you know, just enough. I mean, it totally first kind of took me a while to kind of catch up to it, but, uh, it all, it all, it all makes sense when you never if you look at the grand scheme of thing, we're trying to create a fatigue response, but we could do that at lighter loads rather than increasing, you know, like you said, like, you know, mm -hmm. like a hundred pound effort, uh, for some might be super heavy and then thus they require more muscle, uh, you know, unit fiber activation so uh just flat out beautiful man. So, so let's take a step back and uh let's talk about the athletes uh and particularly the athletes that you and i both deal with you mentioned crossfitters olympic weightlifters powerlifters is kind of the round that i hang out in uh trying to break through with some runners but i'm not necessarily running so it's kind of hard to speak their language so i kind of mm -hmm. just let them find me as they may um but let's talk about that how uh, first let's talk about how like you get buy-in from these athletes, because there's always, there's, there's all kinds of different stuff. You remember first it was farm rolling and, and lacrosse balls and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden it was this, this, this MWOD and, and, and kind of just kind of tissue elasticity and, and last, elasticity, I guess you could say. And then now all of a sudden we're here where, like, you see, uh, you know, famous athletes are, you know, on ESPN and doing BFR training and, and stuff like that. How do we, one, get buy-in? Do we need to? Um, because it almost like the wave is going there. And then secondly, too, what's the conversation that you're having with these athletes and say, hey, I think this is super beneficial to you? Or is this something that they already know, um, you know, with your expertise coming in? So the difference between all the examples that you've just listed and blood yeah. flow restriction is that blood yeah. flow restriction already has a substantial body of research Beautiful. Uh, yeah. behind it. So there is no, there is no doubt that when you are comparing blood flow restriction, light, light low blood flow restriction to light load to even heavy load. When you reach a fatigue response, you're going to generate similar amounts of muscle hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's pretty much across the board. 
uh, conclusive. And there was a recent systematic review or a couple of systematic reviews that we're looking at at what we currently have. And that's that, that's that. So that, that to me is the first big difference between those other things. Foam rolling has been, you know, colloquially accepted, but it's not the, the level of evidence that's associated with its use isn't even that strong. Now, do we need to have more evidence with blood flow restriction on certain aspects? Absolutely. And there is a specifically with the clinical populations and we get into performance, but overall there is enough evidence already to suggest that blood flow restriction could provide a significant benefit to those athletes to rehab, et cetera, when we're talking about creating muscle hypertrophy. And that, and that is just one aspect of how blood flow restriction can influence or positively influence somebody's, uh, somebody's quality of life or their, their athletic performance. There's other bodies of research because of the fact that you're, you're increasing muscle oxygen demand, the powerhouse of the cell, the mitochondria, uses oxygen to help create energy. Mm-hmm. And when we don't have enough oxygen, we actually can increase mitochondrial efficiency. So that can improve your VO2 max, so your total aerobic capacity, as well as your ability to perform exercise at a higher relative intensity. So it may not necessarily improve maximum performance, but it might be, and there's some, and the evidence is, is, is mixed in this. However, we're having very good anecdotal success uh, with, with this with some of our CrossFit athletes. Uh, but there's very good uh, possibilities that improving moderate to high level endurance activities, something like a CrossFit, uh, CrossFit like a marathon row, for example, would be a good, would be a good example of how blood flow restriction could augment performance in that capacity. Um, so when I speak to athletes and talk to them about blood flow restriction, let's be honest here. Athletes are looking for an edge in any way, shape, or form. That 1% so, that doesn't require uh, anything into their arm or vein or yep, anything like that. Yep, yeah, sure. Exactly. So they're, they're always looking for an edge. And so blood flow restriction provides a novel, physiologically-based mm-hmm. performance enhancement like an ergogenic aid to their ability to perform. And that's, and that's not talking anything about like ischemic preconditioning, which is mm-hmm. taking your, uh, what we call limb occlusion pressure, which is the minimum pressure needed to restrict arterial and venous flow. Right. So we would exercise normally with a percentage of the limb occlusion pressure. So anywhere from 50 to 80% of the limb occlusion pressure with IPC you're actually not exercising, you're passively resting for five minutes at 100% of your limb occlusion pressure. And you're repeating this three to four times with three minutes of, of rest in between where you're just relaxing. And there's evidence already to show that that can reduce exercise-induced muscle damage from high-intensity eccentrics. And that's really important to, to take into consideration because if you're an athlete looking to perform at your highest level, and you can have a tool that can reduce, actually has been shown to reduce exercise-induced muscle damage, unlike foam rolling, for example, <laughs> then, then, then now you're talking about a legitimate performance enhancement uh, aid. And you could potentially train at higher intensities, maybe increase your frequency, as well as improve recovery. Because all of the, all what, what's happening underneath the cuff 
when you're doing something like ischemic preconditioning is we're getting all of these adaptations from the cardiovascular level, but also the musculoskeletal level. And all of these serve to improve resiliency of the body. So when we're athlete and we're competing at our highest levels, we need the most resilient body that we possibly can get. And so that's where we're, we're, we're predominantly taking some of those high level performance athletes that are like the Olympic lifter, for example, because we're not necessarily going to benefit from low, low BFR in their, in their specific sport, but there are other applications where we can take advantage of the lack of oxygen uh, or increase in oxygen demand, a complete lack of oxygen. when we're talking about IPC for a short period of time to then perform, uh, improve their performance. Oh man. oh, man. I mean, I love it. And, and, and I'm sure any athlete right now is listening to this and say, man, I need to find me a, a BFR specialist and, and get to it. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to know. Um, it's funny that you mentioned foam. Well, I guess I mentioned it first, but uh, we actually talked about foam roaming a little bit today with the classes that I taught, um, the purpose of it, 100% neurophysiological effect. And also about training economy, right? We talk about, you know, how I, I asked the athletes, how many of you all have more than an hour to, to, uh, to work out? And no one raised their hand, right? I mean, we're uh, like, I'm teaching CrossFit classes. Uh, so most time they're there for that class for a particular reason. They got to go to work. They got to pick up their kids. It's just the best time that they feel like they're, they're, they're ready to work out. And we talked about kind of training economy and, uh, and how, like, how important that was. One of the two minutes on this sucker, getting some mobilization, then loading it up um, will probably be your best bet. But spending 15, 20 minutes on it and then walking out the door, is it's not beneficial at all. And like we don't have, you know, things like BFR and, and, and the little things. So if you are gonna use it, know why we're doing it is, is the number one reason. And then load it up afterwards. That's kind of my, my theme behind that. <clears throat> Secondly, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we don't have an hour. Let's go ahead and, you know, move the stuff around, especially at the T-spine level where it can kind of get hard to maneuver yourself and kind of get there, especially with front rack positioning, with overhead positioning. Um, and again, just that perceived quote unquote tightness um, that people have, you hop on there, you do like your thing and then you get off of it and load it. Um, but um, get, getting to my next point, um, <clears throat> it's, it's funny because everything you said kind of spoke to different systems, right? Um, in PT, as you know this, there's, there's cardiovascular specialists, there's you know people that only do ortho quote unquote, there are people that do P's, neuro, and it's in, in that what you're saying is that there is a neurophysiological effect for the muscles by eliciting a cardiovascular ischemic uh, approach. So it's almost like you're, I, I mean, in the, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you're using all these energy systems. And then if we want to add peas in there, let's just slap it on a 17-year-old. I don't know. Um, and, and it's like you're using all these different systems in order to build you know, better athletes, and more importantly, better human beings without the cause of, of, of tissue damage and are the, the, the effects of tissue damage. And again, that load management can be less because again, we're getting the neurophysiological and then the physiological effect of fatigue. I mean, I don't know, you know, any other way to say that that's just flat out amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, so you can just take this one step further, right? Yeah, please. Um, so you talk about increasing longevity in sport. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if any of you have seen the Ronnie Coleman documentary. Of, yes. Uh, King on Netflix. Yes. And he's already had 13 surgeries on his back and hips. And why? Because he was consistently lifting heavy weights all the time. 
And now the new evidence that's out is suggesting that if you really care about muscle hypertrophy, and this is, this is where the, as the BFR pros, you know, we're working with top level bodybuilders, uh, top level bodybuilders, top level powerlifters, crossfitters, and then anybody that's looking to accelerate their performance and whatever they're, they're looking at. But this example is mostly for uh, the bodybuilders, although it has implications across the board. Because muscle tissue is very nonspecific, right? Uh, meaning that as long as you create a fatigue response and you in, that will drive uh, increases in motor unit recruitment, which means that the muscle is more active. When the muscle is more active, that will then signal hypertrophy. You can get that at low loads, you can get that at moderate loads, you can get that at heavy loads. So they, across the board, it doesn't matter for muscle tissue. So if you're a bodybuilder looking to prolong your career and you want to reduce the, the, the constant pounding on your joints, well, then you can use blood flow restriction to be able to take the place of a lot of that heavy lifting that you're doing. Now you take that into account for someone like a CrossFitter or a powerlifter, well, they're doing heavy exercise, right? Well, obviously yeah. their sport is if you're a powerlifter to lift uh, the heaviest weight possible from point A to point B. Well, with blood flow restriction, you still can use their accessory work and be able to create that hypertrophy in those tissues while not having to load the joints to the same degree. So now you can do your specific lifts, right? Because specificity is important in building um, maximum strength, right? So you want to do the lift that you want to get good at, or else because that's the only way you're really going to get good at a lift. It's not just how much muscle you can activate. It's also the movement patterns, the way that your brain coordinates what muscles are firing when. These yep. are all things that are happening, quote unquote, under the hood when you're doing a, uh, an exercise, uh, especially trying to improve the, the, one, the, the maximum level strength. So you, I never want to take that away from an athlete because they're going to need to be able to do that. But their accessory work now can be done with reduced joint loading. So again, allowing additional, uh, the potential to improve their recovery uh, between lifting because you can use blood flow restriction for, to prevent muscle damage, which will accelerate their recovery. Because ultimately, what do we define fatigue as? We define fatigue as the, ability, as the loss of the ability, of the loss of the muscle to generate power or force. Yeah. And yeah. That, can happen, that can happen centrally in the nervous system, or that can happen peripherally at the level of the muscle. Blood flow restriction, we're thinking that it's, it's a highly peripheral fatigue. So we can get... So with, with peripheral fatigue, that tends to dissipate very quickly after cessation of an exercise versus central fatigue that might take a little bit longer to, to dissipate because there's a lot of other things that are happening with the nervous system that kind of has to recover from the, the training bout. So with blood flow restriction, now you could have the potential to train a little bit more frequently but also be able to stimulate the muscles and create a, an optimal way that, you know, an optimal program for someone to be able to accelerate, uh, accelerate their performance. And so that's a, that's the really exciting thing. And then you talk about, even with the CrossFitters, you talk about integrating that with their, um, with their cardiovascular workouts to improve their aerobic capacity and what we like to refer to as mean aerobic power. So their ability to maintain a certain level of force output over a prolonged period of time, something that would be valuable in, uh, in, the in, uh, in an exercise event like the marathon row at the CrossFit Games. 
So a lot of ways you can use blood flow restriction to biohack uh, the physiology. Man, you're talking about building some 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 really strong athletes and really strong human beings. Uh, you know, decreasing the load like you like kind of what we've been talking about this entire time, and doing it in a way that is for one ethical. And like we both know what I'm talking about, ethical. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, that is going to like you said, you talk about Ronnie Coleman and why, like you know, watching that documentary. And like seeing what those loads had on his body, and I'm sure he's not the only one. I mean, this is the guy that we think about because all the surgery he's had, the fact that he won uh, Mr. Olympia you know, what eight times, um, the the fact that he like everyone remember his videos of saying lightweight baby, and like him taking the rack off and doing what two thousand plus pounds on the leg press machine, man. It's I mean, I grew up on those videos, and 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 just to see him now and kind of taking a step back and just being like man like that's like that's what improper loading looks like of course there's some other stuff in there um some liquid encouragement but more importantly like that's where like improper loading happens or you know um kind of affects someone like you said tissues and joints uh but but more importantly kind of the the longevity of someone isn't quite there we're talking about masters athletes like you know people are doing crossfit Olympic weightlifting up until their 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. which is which is huge. Which is which is what I preach all the time to my people. Oh, I'm just oh no, old is a mindset. They're like, we're gonna live forever. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Like our medical system will keep you alive forever, uh, especially whenever you and I and the rest of the people listening to this podcast get older. Um, so why not move the entire time? And I I think BFR can assist with that, um, mm-hmm. which, which is great. Which is great, man. Which is great. No, no, for sure. And and you can imagine also. You know, something I didn't talk about with something like the triathletes that we're working with. Yeah. You know, like you can actually reduce the amount of training volume that you need. Oh, because because ultimately, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get to a certain percentage, certain realm of adaptation. And and traditional aerobic training, for example, you need to train for a very long period of time at a certain potential, at a certain intensity in order to elicit adaptation. With blood flow restriction, because we're augmenting the demand for muscle oxygen, because as higher as you increase the pressure on the cuff, it reduces the amount of oxygen that's going to that arm or leg. Well, now we're accelerating that process. So you can get adaptation in a less amount of time, both per training session, but also in, um, in, in actual uh, like like time, like we're there, there, there have been at least three or four studies that come to mind that have improved uh, competitive cyclists VO2 max by four and a half to 6% in four weeks. Hold, hold so on. You look, oh, oh, stop, stop real quick. I'm sorry. You mean cyclists that already have really high VO2? Like above, above, yeah. above 50 to 60 VO2. Yeah. So you're looking at Whoa. very, you're looking at already very, very um, conditioned athletes. Right, right. And you're able to now, again, accelerate their ability to make adaptations. And so instead of having a triathlete, you know, need to train six or seven hours a day, you can get them to train in a third or less of the time, because ultimately, the only thing that matters is they're getting the adaptations that they desire in order to compete on game day. So everyone thinks this more is better philosophy that's paralyzing the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And, and in reality, if you actually take a step back 
and you think about it through the lens of fatigue. I'm going to go back to this concept because it's <laughs> so critical. Yeah. Just because you think that you feel recovered doesn't necessarily mean that you actually are recovered. Our brain will dictate that in full. So if we're, able, if we're not able to fully recruit our muscles at any given time, I guarantee you anybody that's listening has come to the gym, you know, has worked out a couple times uh, th- during the week and then comes back and they might feel good, but all of a sudden when that, when that weight get, goes on their back, that, that 275 squat that used to be easy two, three weeks ago is now feeling like 350 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so what is that telling you? That's nothing to do with your, potent, your, your muscles, so to speak. That might be your brain literally unable to recruit those higher level motor units. And so you're, you're not able to lift to the same degree. And so that's used as a, as a protective mechanism. So recovery is so important and not overdoing it. So blood flow restriction, because it tends to elicit peripheral, or at least what we think is peripheral adaptation, that are peripheral fatigue, that that we're, we're, we're not creating the, the high degree of central fatigue that other training methods might be producing. So knowing what's going on underneath the cuff when I go and teach courses across the country, uh, I may make sure to emphasize this because it's so important because it feeds into exactly this, this more is better culture that's rampant in, in fitness and certainly CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's part of the reason why it's nice. Cause you can use this to deload the nervous system and be able to at least get, get, you know, a training effect of some degree with chronically overtrained individuals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, taking a step back to the, to the VO2, like the fact like you, you all are increasing someone's fitness level by someone who's fairly fit anyways, like cyclists and, you know, swimmers and, and those are, already on a higher spectrum, but to, to increase it by, like you said, what, four to 6% is, yeah, we're talking, I mean, that's, 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 that's big. I mean, I mean, most athletes are looking for a 1% advantage. I mean, you're giving them five more. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, even IPC is, is, yeah. is on average, you know, between 0.9 and 2.4% improvement in mm-hmm. performance when you're doing IPC. And as a performance coach, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, the evidence is pretty mixed uh, in the literature, but if an athlete's going to go and shave off 15 or 20 seconds off their time trial for, for, and when they did IPC, you know, I don't give a crap what, what, what's going on. If I see improved performance, that's a benefit to the athlete. That's a benefit to myself. So yeah, you can look at, and, and again, it, the, whether it's the novelty or the placebo, however you want to, however you want to frame it. The fact is, is that we're seeing, we're definitely seeing improvements in VO2 max. Now, whether or not, and again, being up front here, um, whether or not that trans- transfers to performance is ultimately something that might be sport or athlete specific, which is another reason why it's important to have a comprehensive program of assessment and testing, because yeah. you can have a limitation in something like utilization where blood flow restriction will, will spike that up. And all of a sudden now they're improving their performance. But then if you have something where you can improve their VO2 max, but their problem is actually in delivery, well, then you haven't solved that athlete's problem. Yeah, no, I mean, are you talking about the difference between like, like technological thing? Like, you like, you, you, you can't take a crappy athlete, put them on the, the BFR training and say, okay, now all of a sudden their, their, their overall performance is going to get better because they haven't, 
quite peaked when it came to you know the technique, the, the, the technique, and and you know moving optimally within that sport, which is you know have some variance. But we both know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. no, I mean that that is part yeah. of it. But but okay. more of my point was my point was that you can have somebody that can be limited in cardiopulmonary. Gotcha. For their VO2 max. You could have somebody that could be limited by their delivery, meaning their arterial, their arterial function and supply. Or you can have somebody that could be limited in their ability to, to actually pick up that oxygen yeah. from gotcha. the hemoglobin and be able to use that as fuel. So blood flow restriction could have a huge role, at least low, low blood flow restriction. I haven't even talked about high intensity BFR. But low-intensity BFR could have a role in improving utilization, but it won't necessarily improve delivery or cardiopulmonary in terms of extracting that oxygen out. So it comes to the performance coach to be able to see, all right, where are my athletes limited? How can I then design a program to be able to use that? And where does blood flow restriction actually fit in that could help improve as, you know, the performance as much as possible? Because the, part of the reason why I think that we're seeing a, a, a difference in the degree of performance in the literature, meaning that we see improvements in VO2 max a lot with low, low BFR, um, like cycling, for example. Um, but we don't necessarily see improvements in performance because it could be the athlete's limiter is not that it's limited in utilization per se, it's limited in other mechanisms which aren't challenged by a low, low blood flow restriction exercise. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. And, and then how do we kind of elicit that, 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 that other response? And how do we find out which, well, I guess it would take for someone to run through a protocol, like you said, but then follow up with the strength coach um, yep. or with the conditioning coach, right? Yep. I mean, so that's kind of where, where some of the higher level, the people that we're working with as the BFR pros are, are going. So they, they've already split it up into different limiters for these athletes. And they, oh, yeah. they go through a testing protocol so they could be as they could be as specific as possible as to exactly what we're trying to do. And blood flow restriction fits in differently in all these different limiters. So it's super cool, super exciting stuff. And that's where performance enhancement is 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 headed. I mean that's I mean that's huge, man. Uh two things here. So whenever obviously whenever we're talking about blood flow restriction, we're talking about the mechanical device that is that you know that is basically uh put on by a medical provider, which is it seems to be that's the 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 requirement across the board. Is that correct? Let me no. Actually, um okay. so okay. the Del the Delphi unit okay. is the only one that's that's required for uh to be a medical provider and okay. that in part is due to the fact that they have a relationship with the medical manufacturing company um, that, that has set that standard. The company that I teach for, uh, Smart Tools, has, uh, does not have that restriction. So we're, I'm teaching when I go out, I, I'm teaching to personal trainers, strength coaches, physical therapists, chiropractors, you know, DOs, MDs, you know, athletic trainers, all of or even just the general population. I had a couple of people that came into the course that were just interested in blood flow restriction and learning how to implement it in their fitness gotcha. programming. So yeah, so those are uh, those are the ones that you that, that I recommend for purchase, uh, just because they're they're more affordable than the Delphi. And plus, I'm not going to have uh, an athlete wear a pretty much a computer on their back when I'm having them in the gym do uh, exercise. It's just it, it makes it a little bit harder for <laughs> for that to happen. But I do use both devices. I do own both. So um, I, I feel like I can talk about the pros and cons of each um, with that. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Kuma, yeah, yeah, thanks for that connection. And, and I think I was listening to more of the Delphi um, in this particular individual on his last, on like a couple podcasts um, ago was, 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 you know, explaining that. Um, and I mean, just kind of what I've heard over the last few years. So, yeah. Um, so like, uh, so, so this is where my, this is where I have a problem with okay. the Delphi, uh, the, the whole issue is because blood flow restriction uh, when administered by a certified skill provider, whatever that provider is, that provider yeah. knows what it's doing. It's easy to use. It's hard to misuse. It's safe and it's better for results than what you're probably currently doing. So you're able to, if you understand what's going on, what you're trying to elicit, blood flow restriction can help accelerate performance in that direction. So the, the, the reason why I, I am supporting something, uh, something other than you know, the Delphi and the Smart Cuffs is that it, it's affordable and it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of other cuffs in the market don't adhere to the evidence base and they haven't gone through the scrutiny of the manufacturing process. And as physical therapists, for example, you know, we're held to a higher standard. We're healthcare providers. And Absolutely. so the only two devices that have been listed on the FDA site for liability purposes, for example, are the smart cuff and the Delphi unit. So those are the only two that I recommend in clinical practice. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's huge, man. Anyone who's listening to this and, and think about picking that up, rather you're a clinician or a, uh, a, a coach and, and, and kind of want to kind of know what's going on, I'll, I'll list all of uh, Nick's upcoming, uh, you know, obviously BFR's training stuff and also list the devices and, and, and have all that kind of stuff so you all can check them out. Compare prices kind and compare your own, uh, you know, um, and then make your own conclusion with that. So I'll definitely list both of those out. Uh, in a, the show notes just for anyone who's listening and kind of like, well, shoot, let me kind of get on this. Don't worry. I'll have all that for you. Um, I'll have the links to both and, and to have Nick upcoming uh, schedule as well. Once he provides that to me. Cool. So yeah, man. So um, let's talk about uh, some sports. I mean, I mean, we're, 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 we're getting heavy, man. Uh, are you, uh, do you, do you, uh, do you have an NFL team? Do you have an NBA team? Do you have sure. an NBA team? Please talk about those. I want to talk, step away a little bit from the science stuff and talk about sports, which is one of my top three passions for sure. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because I literally don't watch sports at all. No, that's funny. That's good. Like I, I, my life consists of reading papers, yeah. Yeah. strength training, blood flow restriction papers, synthesizing them, trying to make them as digestible as possible for the general public. I teach, you know, uh, I, I have two companies, my own practice, as well as the BFR pros. And so, uh, and then I teach obviously for smart tools and their level one rehab, uh, their level one rehab course. So I'm, I'm super busy. I, I unfortunately just don't have enough time to be able to sit down and follow sports. Um, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I do actually genuinely enjoy uh, the performance aspect of my quote unquote rehab with those, those individuals. But, you know, unless it's a personal relationship, I, it's, it's hard for me to, to sit down anymore and, and watch sports. Um, you know, even though, even baseball where I played in college, uh, it's, it's, it's just tough. Um, so it's kind of ironic when people ask me that question because I, I love, being able to be as specific as possible to their sporting demands in my rehab and, you know, programming. But at the same time, I just, uh, again, it's, it's, it's hard to just have the time to just sit down and, and watch or follow, um, follow those sports. So it's, it's really funny that, uh, that you asked me that. 
Well, just completely poo-poo on this whole segment. That's perfectly fine. Uh, but no, I'm I'm kidding, man. Yeah, I get to catch me <laughs> a week, and then if if it's not my team's a chance of me watching them nowadays, I used to be a huge college football fan. I mean, from like sun up to sundown, I used to watch college game day all the way up until the last wow. game at like nowhere, Oregon, or like Oregon playing somebody at like ten o'clock at night. I mean, that's how that's how much I used to. But then once grad school hit, post grad. Um, school, man, it's, it's just been like a whirlwind of, of this football season. I, I probably have digested the least amount of football, which is which is good. I, I stay busy on Saturdays and Sundays relatively. So, yeah, I can yeah. be there. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I'll I'll continue to be able to watch my two teams. But, hey, when, when the day comes and, and the time comes where I'm just too busy, you know, like kind of what you said, like improving people, wellness, health, and, and fitness level and performance, um, why I'm just not able to get to it, I won't complain at all. Um, that's mm-hmm. why they have uh, Yahoo and Google. That's right. <laughs> Scores. That's right. <laughs> follow that, and then best believe my dad, who just recently retired from military, is watching the game, so he'll tell me uh, all about it. <laughs> so he probably has it, more time than you do. So yeah, yeah, oh <laughs> he has too much time. Oh, my God. he has too much time. He watched. The, he listens to the news or reads the news all day long. I'm really trying to get him into doing different stuff. I'm like, Dad, you gotta, you gotta find something to do, man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he he eat uh he ate, breathed, uh slept military. So um I let him kinda have a, a like six months off, but then I'll kick him to start doing some stuff. Um especially for me, have him send some emails or call some people up or something. That's like that. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, you know, hey man, go pass out some flyers from me or something. I don't know. <laughs> so for sure, just keep him moving. So yeah, man. So anyway, so um yeah, so what I really wanted to ask and, 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 and kind of, you know, the whole entire time I was waiting to see kind of where I could plug this into, but it's perfect that we're kind of putting this at the end. I know that you got another call that you need to get to, but, um, and uh, the thing I wanted to ask, how do we basically produce this in mass? Um, and it may not ever get there, right? It, it might be a good thing where we are on a one-on-one level. Um, but you know, with that being said, like, let's say that, let, let's, let's assume we, you know, we're talking 10 years down the road and we have 20 years of CrossFit or, you know, the bump in Olympic lifting and kind of the athletes that are becoming out bigger, stronger, faster, because they started in their youth programs, you know, doing the right kind of stuff and lifting the right weights and having those great strength coaches and, and trainers. Um, and then now all of a sudden we're, we're here where no longer is it the pro well, I guess the programming will always be important. But how do we produce this? And maybe this is something that's coming up in the future and you just can't tell me about it. Uh, how do we produce this, this, this in mass? How do we get uh, blood flow restriction cuffs on, you know, 10 to 15 people in, in the gym? Is that feasible? Is, uh, is that possible? Do we want that? Um, is it something that will always stay on a one-on-one level? And then with that being said, how do we continue to, to push safety and, um, and, and, and not only quantity, I'm sorry, quality over quantity when it comes to because we can have 15 cups but if people aren't one using them right and secondly aren't necessarily needing them how do we kind of streamline that um you, you could have talked about that a little bit right, yeah i mean it's uh that's a good question i think that with with blood flow restriction as it currently is and the evidence that's out supporting its safety and exercise yeah, of course. Um, especially in the higher more active population um, I'm not as concerned about safety in the performance setting, Absolutely. but what I am concerned about is optimal. What is optimal results? So there is a million different cuffs out there that claim to do blood flow restriction, but either don't have the materials necessary to really fully uh, 
restrict blood flow the way it should be, or you, they can't calculate how much percentage of blood flow is actually being occluded, or they're, they're, you know, the design of the cuff itself just is not, is not adhering to providing the, most sa the safest stimulus. So, I mean, we're, we're piloting, uh, one of my partners is piloting small group BFR classes already oh. and is having good success with that because the only, the only barrier really is the first time use of determining what that individual's limb occlusion pressure is. Right. And, and obviously, you know, we didn't talk about the early uh, integration of BFR into someone's plan of care or programming, uh, but that tends to be the period where I'm a little bit more conservative in its use. But if you have individuals that have been doing blood flow restriction for uh, at least, you know, three or four weeks, then I'm really not worried about excessive soreness uh, occurring from the exercise due to novelty. That's pretty much exactly why, why people get sore in the first place, just new stimulus, potentially a little bit more muscle damage. Uh, although in general, muscle damage doesn't happen to a significant degree of blood flow restriction. So that's why I tend to call it novelty. Um, but once that novelty effect is kind of worn off in the body, you don't actually get sore which is incredible. Um, so being able to have a small group class like this where you're working uh, is, is a good business model for those that have had, that, that are promoting blood flow restriction as part of their service offerings and have individuals that are not usually, you know, first time users. Because I think that it's important for anybody to be able to have a one-on-one -on -one session first to be able to get to somebody who understands you know, what blood flow restriction is, integrating it into programming of the plan of care, and then providing a good program for them to actually use on their own or uh, under the supervision of a rehab uh, or performance specialist. So I think that there's definitely possibilities to scale this out, especially now that the technology is, is way more affordable. Uh, so I, I would never, um, would, would never doubt that. I think that there, it, it, because the technology is affordable, it actually opens up a lot of business opportunities from a local and regional perspective. Uh, something like the Delphi, that's not. Um, you know, I, I just, my mission is to spread evidence-based and quote-unquote evidence-informed uh, blood flow restriction uh, training and for, for rehab and performance. And now that the technology is available, it's actually a lot easier to be able to do that because the Delphi right now is, is the, iron, is the uh, ivory tower approach of only certain people can do BFR because they can afford a $5,000 unit. And that's just one unit, mind you. So, um, so you're looking at a minimum investment of $11,000 to do blood flow restriction. And let's be honest here, um, if I was concerned about the safety uh, in, in individuals that are screened appropriately then, and using proper equipment, like the smart tools, for example, I don't need a lot of the bells and whistles that are going along with, with the Delphi unit. Uh, although again, I do love that unit for certain purposes, um, when we're talking about performance, I, I don't like that unit for that reason. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, and, and like, and like you said, the, the research and, and stuff is coming out for, for small group usage and a kind of fit fitting where like it, it probably needs to be. Um, for some, they might look at it and say, Oh, great. I can just get right into it. And, and, and they kind of just start teaching classes. But for, for most, I hope they hear that and say, you know what, this like the, the influence and, and having small group classes can, can really kind of bump uh, the, the performance half of, of things up and um, getting getting people to, to, to do the right thing, like you said, earlier in rehab or even earlier in, in uh, their training goals is, uh, is, is huge, is huge. So mm -hmm. 
Cool, man. So here, uh, go ahead and plug all, all, um, all of the socials, all of the stuff that you got coming up. I know we're going into a new year, so uh, obviously talk about the, the the first few courses that you got coming up with uh, with your, your programming and and uh, just just drop everything and don't worry, I'll put it in the show notes for you. Yeah, no. Again, appreciate the the discussion. If anybody really wants to get a very synthesized view of blood flow restriction. You know, they can follow my Instagram account at the HPM. Um, so I have over 200 posts on blood flow restriction on my account. I also would recommend following the BFR pros, the BFR pros. Uh, that's the partnership between myself, Mario Novo and uh, Jordan Escanio. And we're coming out with a lot of really cool, cool stuff next year. We're going to start our performance BFR course uh, eventually uh, sometime next year. And, uh, and we're going to be at some of the top facilities in the country, uh, working with some high level athletes. So we got a lot of cool things that are coming up in the pipeline and, uh, stay, stay tuned. I'm obviously uh, teaching for smart tools in their level one rehab course. Um, mostly on the East coast, cool. uh, we're, we're in more, mostly on the Northeast coast. My partners are teaching more on the, uh, East, uh, Southeast and, uh, Southern parts of the country. So uh, any, anybody that's, that's listening and wants to go to a BFR course sponsor, or well, at least uh, given by the BFR pros definitely should, should hit that up. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're all just about trying to spread evidence-based blood flow restriction training for rehab and performance. And at the end of the day, we want everyone to uh, accelerate human performance, whatever that performance might be. And for me personally, you know, living in the mantra of having everybody experience the joy of pain-free movement and blood flow restriction can definitely help with that. So. Yeah, man, I, I, I cannot um, wait to, to travel up there up North to come, to come see you. Um, I will for you make an exception to, to go up North during the snowy months, if that's what it requires me to do. Uh, hopefully I can catch you in uh, the, the warmer months though. <laughs> I'll travel up there if, if I have to, depending on my schedule. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, I'm allergic to it. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I'm 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 allergic to uh, sunshine, which is oh. why I uh, which is why I recently got my blood work done uh, by uh, one of the orthopedic uh, surgeons that uh, we're partnering up with the BFR Pros with mm-hmm. to allow. And this is something that is awesome as well that I didn't even talk about that we're doing is is getting a comprehensive blood work, and by comprehensive I mean like very comprehensive. Mm-hmm. to look at exactly where an athlete is in their recovery process. So understanding how they should train based on what their blood, uh, their recovery markers, you know, their cortisol, their vitamin D, their, um, their uh, all these other like hemoglobin, iron, et cetera, everything that really can, can give an indication of how recovered and ready to perform an athlete is. So we're starting to offer that service as well because you really don't know how to get to where you're going if you don't know where your starting point is. So a lot of people don't forget, a lot of people forget that the, the you know, what, what, what actually is under the hood, which is your blood and what's going on and feeding your body, they don't actually have any idea what's going on there. So they haven't, how can you then understand exactly the, the optimal ways to get you to, to, your, to achieve your goals? And so blood flow restriction can fit into that paradigm as well. So it's really, really, really cool, really exciting stuff that's coming up in 2019, and uh, I can't, I can't wait. Me neither, man. And like just hearing you say that re- reminds me of like how, and this might sound 
kind of crazy how scientific sports performance and like fitness is becoming now. Like, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, it was just pumping iron, pumping iron, whoever looked biggest, whoever like had the most like well-known athletes, they were looked at as the experts, but now we're shifting, which is very great. And in every aspect of the, of, of you know, imaginable shifting more to the science and those that are not, not only, um, you know, the, you know, can highly motivate people with so on and so forth, but like where the science actually leads us, like you said, taking blood work is saying, and what we're saying, what we're saying, we're doing actually working. Um, or are we just kind of just blowing smoke? <laughs> and, yeah. And- so, yeah. So what you were saying is like from before my, uh, my, my, uh, well, I was saying I was allergic to sunshine. Well, literally I have critically low vitamin D levels. Um, <laughs> no. So I've started to supplement as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's caused me to look into vitamin D deficiencies and, and how that can augment or hinder, you know, certain aspects of my physiology uh, in, in, a, in, in a meaningful way. So these are all things that you need to take into consideration if you're a serious athlete looking to push the barriers of human performance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, right. Like, like you said, not just taking the buzz of supplements because your coach saying it, but actually looking at this stuff and saying, this is where I'm lacking. Do and let's add it in for however long your training or however long your like you're like you're basically taking a snapshot of it. Four to six weeks is what I recommend for most people for most things, and see if it improves performance, see if it make you feel better, see if it's help your food digest fat. Who cares? Yeah, um, I mean, as long as it kind of help you again improve that that one percent performance. I mean, we're talking, we're talking gold, man. So when we could talk about this all day long, again, I love the, uh, I, I love all the stuff you're doing. Uh, I try to like all of your great posts. I mean, the, I mean, you, 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 you really make it a BFR super simplified. Like you said, even for me, a clinician who basically lives in this world, uh, may not be as knowledgeable, but every single one of your posts I read through, um, and, and, and engage uh, and, and, and gain some small knowledge from there. And uh, basically just hi, have you on a podcast was an honor, man. Thank you so much. Again, really appreciate it. And uh, if there's any questions, anybody just reach out to me probably on my Instagram, just because uh, that's probably the easiest uh, way. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to just continuing this relationship and looking at 2019 as uh, 2018 winds down and, exciting things on the horizon for for myself and the bfr pros so wow. man we are living in the golden ages that's <laughs> it that's it we are living in the golden ages man i don't like i understand that back you know 70s and 80s when the stuff was coming up but man we are living in the golden age of fitness health and wellness it's it's beautiful i can't wait so anyways everybody thank you for listening to another episode of the high impact health podcast Remember to continue your sports performance, um, increase your health, increase your wellness. Uh, Have a really great one. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast with your host, Dr. Diamond Jones. It would mean the world to me if you were to hand over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and just leave me a review or a like or a follow or a subscribe, any of those things that help push the podcast forward. Share it out to a friend or two, right? All this will help me to not only be able to deliver the best content, but help get this knowledge out there more and more. And it allows me to do more of these podcasts, right? The more people we have listening, the more we can kind of spread it out there too. So again, uh, please like, follow, share um, the podcast, and I appreciate that in advance. Thank you.